0: It's Caleb. And today I am excited for you to be listening to the Learner's Corner podcast because today I'm honored to be joined by Ray Chang, who is the president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative. And this is a conversation that I've really been looking forward to for for several weeks, even I think a few months. And the reason is, is because... A few months ago, whenever the the brutal and the horrific attacks, uh, the Asian uh, attacks happened in Atlanta, it, with all of the stop Asian hate and all of that, I it forced me to do a personal inventory, and I just realized I don't know a whole lot of history as it concerns our. Our, really, our our nation, our, you know, me being in the United States, our nation's history, as it concerns the AAPI community, the Asian, you know, the Asian American Pacific Islander community, and just realized that I it was just an area that I was very ignorant of, and I didn't know a whole lot about. And so I set out to kind of figure out, okay, I need to learn about this thing. I want to learn about the history of there. I want to learn from from. The people, and that led me to the Asian American Christian Collective, and from there I was able to get connected to Ray, and I just really appreciate him and really appreciate the work that he's doing, and excited to bring this episode to you, and you know just kind of uh, you know we usually do a learner's corner recommended resource of the week, and I usually try it, try to tie it into um, our conversation or the topic that we're talking about, and. I'm just going to go ahead and recommend, uh, the Asian American Christian collective. They have so many resources on there that, um, that I'm, that I'm learning from and that I'm per- that books and resources and in podcasts that I'm purchasing and that I'm listening to and trying to learn and grow from as well. And so all of that will be, or their website and everything will be linked in the show notes of the podcast. And so, yeah, we're going to jump into the conversation with Ray here in just a minute. But if this happens to be your first time listening to The Learner's Corner, you know, really what we want to do here is create a safe place to have difficult conversations. Because if you're like me, you've realized that not, you can't talk with everyone about everything or necessarily about any particular sort of subject because of the response that you'll get from it, whether that be, you know, fear or anger or shame, or, you know, let me tell you how you're wrong and not, no listening at all, no empathy in that. And here on the podcast, we want to be a place to where you can have those types of conversations because we truly believe that you can learn from anyone and everyone from anything and everything. And sometimes that thing is learning what not to do. It's learning from uh, you know, the examples of people who have gotten it wrong before and who have failed before. And sometimes it is also the learning the successes in it as well. But that's kind of a, one of the mantras here in the podcast. And so if this happens to be your first time, I'm so excited that, uh, that you're joining us today. You could not have picked a better episode to be listening with us today. Now, as I mentioned earlier, my guest is Ray Chang. And let me tell you a little bit about Ray. Ray, as I mentioned earlier, is the president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative. He is a pastor and a writer. He regularly regularly preaches God's word and speaks throughout the country on issues pertaining to Christianity and culture, race, and faith. He has lived throughout the world in Korea, Guatemala, Panama, uh, Spain, China and has traveled to nearly 50 countries and currently lives in Chicagoland serving as a campus minister at Wheaton College. Prior to entering vocational ministry, Ray worked in the for-profit and non-profit sectors and served in in the Peace Corps in Panama. He is also currently pursuing his PhD as well. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I'm talking with Ray Chang. Here is our conversation and can't wait for you to hear it. Well, Ray, so excited to have you on The Learner's Corner today. Great to be with you. Thanks so much, Caleb. Yeah, and and just as we're getting started, you know, you're uh, the head of and one of the leaders uh, of the the Asian American Christian Collaborative. And just as we're getting started, like I always just love, like anytime that someone has started something, whether that's a book or in your case, you know, uh, an organization, I love hearing just the story behind it. So I would lo- just love to hear what led you to the place of, you know, starting the the Asian, the Asian American Christian collaborative.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think um, there's two kind of versions. The first version is for a while, uh, several people have been asking for a, an organization that would serve Asian American Christians and, and offer their perspectives to the world, but also be um, a space where Asian American Christians can kind of convene. Um, but, You know, I think for me, especially as I understand how uh, race somehow, how race functions in our society, uh, in and out of the church, I knew that it would be really hard to get people to actually care, including Asian American Christians themselves. And so it would be a very small portion of the Asian American community and an even smaller portion of the Asian American Christian community that would really have a lot of interest in an organization for Asian American Christians. With that said, um, as we started uh, seeing the rhetoric turn and uh, China get scapegoated uh, for the virus and the rhetoric around uh, COVID-19 uh, turn into China virus, Chinese flu, Kung flu, and then saw the ripple effects of that, especially um the ripple effects of that entering not just uh into our communities but into our pews uh the pews of our churches we knew that we wanted to respond and so we put together a statement on anti-asian racism in the time of COVID 19 which is on our website you can read it uh it actually served several churches um uh, to kind of help them give language and thought to uh, their preaching especially on on issues uh, that were related to anti-asian hate and anti-asian violence which we started seeing uh trickle upwards and then um uh and then as we you know what we really wanted to do is basically prevent uh, a lot of the violence that we actually did see and so we were hoping that the church would lead by uh speaking boldly against anti-Asian racism and speaking boldly against other forms of racism uh so that you know maybe the world could kind of take their cues from the church and that we could prevent some of the violence to- uh, to take place against our communities.
0: Mm-hmm. What have you seen? You know, and and painting painting with a broad brush here. Uh, what have you seen to be? You know, the the church's overall response to Asian hate.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a really hard question, right? I mean, there's yeah. no uh, kind of singular response. You know, I think different communities have different commitments. Different communities have different levels of awareness. Uh, different racial um, Kind of uh, different racial backgrounds impact the way that you see the world uh, differently. And so some communities were far more receptive, other communities are far more resistant. Uh, Some communities still try to deny uh, the racism that Asian American uh, Christians and Asian Americans broadly are uh, dealing with and impacted by, um, while some are full uh, heartedly. trying to speak against it from the pulpit, uh, including it in their pastoral prayers, talking about it in their small groups, uh, addressing it in their elder meetings. And so we do get a, a variety of responses, uh, I mean, to any form of racism, right? I mean, there's still people that believe that uh, racism against African-Americans doesn't exist, racism against Latinos doesn't exist, um, you know that, you know, that uh, the problems that we all face uh, are problems of our own making, um, that we, we just worked harder. Or if we just pulled ourselves by our, um, uh, up by our bootstraps that, you know, that things would be better. Or if we just kind of kept our heads down or didn't, you know, make a big deal out of what some people would consider nothing, then things would just get better.
0: Are there any, uh, I mean, uh, I guess what I want to ask is, and you mentioned some in terms of the, the COVID, uh, in terms of COVID, in terms of the racism that, you know, a lot of people in the Asian and Asian American community have experienced. Is there any, like, what does racism look like for people who are part of the Asian American people? What does racism against that, that people in that community tend to look like?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, there are basically two prevailing, not exclusively two, but two prevailing stereotypes that impact our communities The model minority myth and then the perpetual foreigner syndrome. So the model minority myth basically uh, says that Asians are the minority that every other minority group should strive to become. What this does, however, is it it keeps us in a perpetual status, a minority status, and so it like hinders us from ever really potentially becoming the majority. Uh, But also um, the the stereotype was created to to build a wedge between uh, black and brown communities, uh, primarily the African American community and, and and the white communities, or and so and so those who are racialized as white, and so it's it actually is a stereotype that's used to both subdue um, rewards uh, to some degree Asian Americans for kind of taking on an honorary white status, um, but more importantly to keep other communities down so it's it's basically a way to say well if Asians can make it like this in the United States why can't black and brown people it must be them instead of addressing you know the broader systemic realities and the and the impact of structural injustice and and structural racism um the the other stereotype is the perpetual foreigner syndrome, which is uh, the sense that no matter how many generations we're here in the United States, we're never going to be American enough. Um, and so both of these come out in different ways. So the model minority myth uh, will often emerge by people attributing positive stereotypes to us, like we're good at math, we're good in academics, You know, we are hardworking, we don't complain, we keep our heads down um and we are quote unquote successful despite asian americans having the greatest racial wealth gap in the entire country and um and then the perpetual foreigner syndrome which you know often emerges through the question where are you really where are you from and then followed up by where are you really from when you say i'm from the united states or in my case from chicago or los angeles and then um, you know other other kind of comments about how we speak English so well, or um, why is our food so yucky, and things like that. Um, but then you know the racism that we've been seeing, you know, has been a kind of overt, violent racism, especially in the in the in the midst of the pandemic, where um, we have. We have been watching an escalation of violence against our our community members, including our elderly, which is why so many of our elderly have been shoved and pushed and and killed uh, as a result. I mean, throughout the pandemic alone, we've seen um, elderly women uh, get lit on fire, uh, a, a, uh, elder, a couple of elderly men get shoved and to the ground, and then um, and then pushed. Someone get kicked to the ground in the face, and then. Uh, Her face bashed over and over again in New York. Um, And then, you know, uh, uh, folks of other bullying for our youth, at least one in four of our youth have been bullied, um, called racial slurs. Um, You know, this uh, adorable uh, uh, teenage group uh, called the Linda Lindas uh, out in LA. They just performed in a... um, in the in the la public library but you know one of the songs they they wrote was a song called racist sexist boy uh because uh one of their schoolmates went up to one of them and said hey my dad told me i should stay away from chinese people and then one of the band members was chinese and so she said i'm chinese and then he slowly backed away and so they wrote this song called it's like a punk rock song called racist sexist boy and uh, I mean, they use words like jerk face and riffraff and um, uh, poser uh, to to basically de- denounce the the racism. Um, but it's a it's a very interesting and creative form of resistance. Um, but I mean, we've seen a, a whole bunch of different you know forms of racism. I mean, to the point where someone was driving by my house and yelled out, "You yellow piece of s," just because they saw who I saw my you know saw my facial features. Mm. And so I didn't know where what they were capable of, if they were going to come back, or if they were going to throw a rock through my window or whatnot. Um, but just because of the way I looked, it was which all kind of emerged after China was blamed for um, for the virus, and I'm Korean American, and then you know uh, the former president continued to use and what refused to um, stop using kind of rhetoric that really incited old stereotypes and tropes uh, that that triggered visions of, um, of yellow peril, which is what Asian Americans were often called, that you know, a- Asians were considered uh, people who brought a virus or a disease to the United States.
0: Well, first of all, I want to say that's horrible, and I'm sorry. Um, and I know that that's not even enough. Um, but uh, I guess the other thing, or another thing that I wanted to ask you, Um, earlier that you had alluded to um, is you said that not only do you have to, um, you know, convince white people that racism is a thing against the Asian uh, community, the Asian American community, but you said that you have to convince, um, you know, the people of your own community as well. I would just love um, like just your, your thoughts on that. Maybe why, like why that is,
1: yeah, uh, and thanks for the, the the sympathies. Um with with Asian Americans, you know, we're all race every race is racialized in some similar ways and in different ways. And so the so w- white people are really ra- racialized or those who are racialized white are racialized in a particular way. Uh those who are racialized black are racialized in other ways. Those who are racialized Asian, uh Latino and indigenous, you know, and then um Native Americans, we all experience different forms of racialization. Uh in fact, there's almost like a new form, there's a new race being uh developed or created through kind of the the conflicts and the the mass stereotyping of Middle Easterners, right? And so even though the majority of the Middle East is probably in Asia, you know, and, and parts of the Middle East are in uh Europe and uh and Africa, um, you know, one of the things that you'll see is that it's kind of becoming its own racial category. Uh in in our minds, and a lot of that's being driven by, you know, at least in the United States, was driven by uh, the the events of 9 11 and then uh, the war following that. Um, when it comes to Asian Americans, you know, because we are all racialized in different ways, and because the prevailing stereotype that uh, that we are plagued with is the model minority myth, which basically gives us an honorary white status it incentivizes us to not think about race until we absolutely have to. And this is what I think the pandemic has done for a lot of Asian Americans is that they thought that they were safe from racism to a certain degree because they they kind of captured this kind of middle class, upper middle class. Some did, not all did. And you know there are major disparities within the broad Asian American community. You know, which spans uh, dozens of countries uh, and dozens of languages. Uh, So, just kind of be mindful of that. And then, dozens of, uh, and then several phenotypes, right? So, it's we, you know, there are dark-skinned Asians as well as light-skinned Asians. Um, But um, for a lot of Asian Americans, because we have have been designated as honorary whites, uh, to be an honorary white basically says that you'll be given the silver medal in in the in in kind of racial uh, in, in in the race. Uh, the in the racial race and so as much as you are able to kind of reserve and sustain that position uh the more you will be rewarded for it even though you will never be seen as a full first class citizen you'll always be seen as a second class citizen but it's better than a third or fourth class citizen and so um it kind of put pits us, us in competition with everyone beneath us um and and it it leaves us to not want to challenge necessarily the status quo until moments like we saw with the pandemic and um and the overt violence and and many people who bought into the kind of uh, the the um, the lie of assimilation saying if you just assimilate enough you'll be fully embraced uh coming to realize that that's not actually true that you know no matter how much you assimilate you're always going to be seen as asian and as soon as you are seen as a a bad Asian. And so, for, you know, for, so we cycle between being viewed as good Asians and bad Asians. But when we're viewed as good Asians, this is something that Eric Aliyah, historian uh, out in the University of Minnesota, would talk about. When you're seen as good as a good Asian throughout history, you get more of society's rewards. But when you're seen as a bad Asian, you get more of kind of society's punishments. And that's what we're seeing a lot of.
0: As I was just preparing for our conversation, I was listening to a couple of interviews uh, that you've done before, and you said this statement uh that it just it just resonated with me in a way that i just i don't think i had before um but you said you know racism adds a burden to an already exhausting existence and i would just love to hear what like for you what does that burden tend to look like yeah, that's actually a good statement. That's true. <laughs> you uh, said it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just repeating yeah, back it, your words.
1: <laughs> it's absolutely true. It, it. I mean, think of like so. Anyone is who is who is racialized as a minority, right? So, uh, when you talk about minority from a sociological perspective, it's it's those who have less power, less access, less resources. Um, are viewed as less normal. So if you're viewed as less than normal, which is what um, anyone who is not racialized as white are viewed as, then you have to spend not only all the time doing what everyone else does, but the additional work of basically proving that you are kind of, you're, that your existence is worth it, that you are just as capable as the next person, that you are. Um, you know, uh, just as valuable as the person next to you, and that you know that your life experiences are important things to consider, because the uh, and and then the other piece is like when your life experiences and your kind of racialized experiences aren't considered normal, um, and and you aren't part of the privileged class. One of the things that you'll find is that um, there are more hurdles for you to jump through. Ah, uh, to get to the same destination or achieve the same goal, uh, some of those are literally physical hurdles, and so you saw that, you know, in you know in Jim Crow segregation, you know, like you like some people just couldn't get in the front door. Uh, other hurdles are kind of mental and emotional hurdles because mental hurdles where you you're constantly wondering if you are fully embraced or fully accepted. Uh, whether you, you know how to kind of navigate a particular space or navigate a particular process. Um, so for example, like uh, my parents are, are first-generation Korean Americans. And so when they got to the United States, they, they needed someone to walk them through filing the basic paperwork because all of it was already done in English. And they needed help with doing that. And if they didn't have a translator, they would have been really disadvantaged. Um, even now as they speak as they speak english they don't know how to take advantage necessarily of all the the opportunities that are made available through uh through different public and social programming and works and so um so like there is a lack of access that that, that they don't necessarily uh that they're not necessarily able to take advantage of and so i mean like so that, and then the emotional stuff which is like well you're constantly experiencing like this uh degrading almost through uh people constantly questioning you know um your belonging in a lot of ways so i mean uh, it's you go down the list
0: uh what what do you what do you know being part of the the asian american community that you just don't know unless you're part of the asian american community
1: i mean a lot (laughs) i think that yeah yeah (laughs) I mean, there's so here's here's a couple of yeah. things. This is this is a Christian podcast, yep. right? And so this as as a Christian podcast, one of the things that I am seeing happening pretty frequently in multiple spaces, as well as uh, broadly, is that Asian Americans, because of our unique kind of racial histories, having significant interactions with uh, African Americans because we weren't uh, allowed to or we weren't really welcome in white neighborhoods. Um, many, uh, uh, Asian Americans opened up businesses or worked and lived in, uh, predominantly black neighborhoods. And so that created proximity, uh, to African Americans, which had, which led to both tensions among the community, because, you know, anytime you, uh, you engage with difference and then you add language barrier to that, you know, that, that can create some tensions, uh, and then where both communities are marginalized or under-resourced that can create some tensions. Um, we also had uh, kind of cross-racial experiences with the Latino community and, of course, with um, with uh, those who are racialized white. One of the things that you'll find is that Asian Americans, more than any other racial group, I believe, can bring everyone together and uh, around the same table and actually keep them at the same table. Uh, and so, in some ways, we have a longer staying power, in part, not just because we've had these experiences... Uh, cross-racially, but also I think it's there's this disposition that we naturally do have, where because we value harmony as a whole, um, and of course not every Asian American values harmony. You know, like some have been so traumatized by racism that they just want to, um, they, that they really don't they, they don't like they don't know if there's if that kind of harmony is possible. But by and large, I think it's within the disposition of our kind of our ethnic cultures. Um, for harmony to be kind of like a leading value, and so we know how to kind of maintain like, uh, like a like a peace around the table, um, and then we also like probably have the best food in the world uh, <laughs> through all of the different countries. And so, we, if you're not going to stay for the fellowship, which I think we offer great fellowship, you'll definitely stay for the food, as long as you don't think that our food is like weird and exotic.
0: Uh, how? Uh, I would love to hear how have you seen, um. How people of the 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 Asian, either the Asian community or the Asian American community um, view the gospel that is different than what, you know, the average white person might.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think the most significant way is that we approach it more from a communal lens than an individual lens, which doesn't mean that we don't have an individual perspective or an individual idea, but... One of the things that I do sense is that, you know, the Asian Americans approach the Christian faith through a more Christian, uh, consistent reading of, of of the scriptures, which is through a communal lens. The majority of scriptures is written to a plural you. It's not written to a singular, not primarily written to a singular you. And so you lose that in the English language. It's much more like y'all instead of you as an individual, um, i also think that uh, asian americans uh, generally have a more robust understanding of of sin because we understand that christ not only conquered sin and death uh, on the cross and through his resurrection but he also came to suffer on our behalf and to suffer with us right the whole, the whole notion of the passion of the christ which means to suffer with uh for Christ to have compassion means to to suffer with uh, is something that's embedded within, like for example, the Korean American community, where we have a deep sense of han, which is a uh, like a deep sorrow. And so, I think that we understand what it means for uh, for Jesus to suffer with us, and how that leads us to want to suffer, and not not necessarily want to, but uh, that draws us to to be willing to and even move towards suffering with other people. And so um I think those are some significant dispositions that that we naturally have that I don't see uh white Christians have. Uh when I when we talk about sin in kind of white Christian context, it's oftentimes uh it revolves around like you know, uh, kind of a deed and then um and then a way to pay for the deed. Uh and sometimes uh it's explained away as if you know Jesus covering all our sins means that we don't have. Like deep-rooted sins to actually process through, work out with fear and trembling through, uh, based on our kind of like our salvation and um and our and our hope in Christ and and uh, and and almost as if like we use the gospel to, or some people use the gospel to explain away uh, and justify their sinfulness, um, even though they wouldn't do that explicitly and and verbally.
0: How do we get better at, like? Dealing with
1: that. Uh, man, this is hard. Right. Because I mean everything shapes yeah. that, right? Our our the way that we do education shapes your individual achievement, uh, your personal grade versus a group grade. Um, the the ways that you live the, the suburbs is an allure to individualism, right? I mean, like it's the family is the primary unit, uh, instead of the church. Uh, whereas in the Bible, you see that the church is the Primary unit. It doesn't neglect and do away with family, but God creates something new in 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 the in the creation and and the establishment of the church. And so, um, I think if people are serious, there's some you know someone named John Perkins I think is really helpful. Uh, He is one of the co-founders of CCDA. You know, uh, but you know he talks about the three R's: um, redistribution, reconciliation, and then relocation. If your space and your place has a deep formative impact on you, and the people that you surround yourself with will shape your spirituality in some deep and significant ways, which is probably why you know there is such a divide along racial lines, where the church is more segregated today, or as segregated today as it probably you know as it, or let me actually the church is. Uh, more segregated. In the average church in America is more segregated than the average neighborhood that it's in, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, there's something about kind of our racial caste and our racial tribes that are stronger than the gospel in bringing
0: us together. Man, that's a that's a very challenging statement. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean move to
0: those that are yeah. different.
1: live with those that are different from you but then take a posture of humility. You know, the other problem is like when people do move, um they take a posture of kind of saviorism or triumphalism and and assume that they're better than them if they pers- for example move into a low income neighborhood and they personally have a kind of a decently paying job and then they think that they are there to teach everyone how to how to succeed instead of seeing the 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 wealth that's already exists within the community. Mm-hmm. How do you fight against that that mentality? I think the same way you fight against pride. You know, um, I, th- I think cultivating humility, uh, spending more time listening than speaking, um, staying close to Jesus, and seeing and and seeing what He actually calls us to. I mean, if you read the Book of Luke, and um, you don't come out of the Book of Luke transformed and wanting to basically. Uh, sell everything you have and live among the poor. Uh, I I don't know if you're reading the Book of Luke well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I want to go back to something you you alluded to it earlier, um, and I know that you've talked about this uh, before. But the the tension that um, that probably many people in the Asian American community feel around um, uh, invisibility and exclusion. Would would you mind? just elaborating on that and talking about how, how those two dynamics play out and the tension that is in there? Yeah. So I think that we
1: constantly have to choose as Asian Americans between invisibility and exclusion, right? And then now we're talking about the addition of violence and overt hatred. Um, so, But generally, in times of general peace, when Asians are viewed as good, we we choose between invisibility and exclusion, which means which follow actually the stereotypes of the model minority myth and the perpetual foreigner syndrome, right? The perpetual foreigner syndrome is the exclusion. We are not fully American. We are not fully people who belong. The model minority myth basically pushes us down and says you should be okay with the station that you are given regardless of how much you are more qualified or more capable or you know, more gifted than other people that, you know, are of your same kind of stature because you are you know, quote unquote, quiet. And then if you speak up, you're doubly penalized because they're not used to you being, you know, to speaking up. And so the invisibility actually is tied to the model minority myth. The perpetual foreigner comes to the ex- exclusion. And then, you know, when exclusion doesn't work and when you can't be excluded, then it turns to violence a lot of the time. Or when we push against the model minority myth and say, actually, you know, we're tired of seeing, you know, people use. You know, like our ideas and take our credit, uh, and then simultaneously um pass us up for a promotion, for example. Um, which is what we're seeing with Jeremy Lin. I mean, I, I don't know if he would say this, uh, but you know, recently he uh came out with a statement saying that he didn't get picked up for uh for the NBA uh from the G League. He came back from China. And so he he went to China because he didn't get a contract, uh, I think from the NBA and then uh, really was one of the leading kind of uh, performers out there. Then came back, spent a year in the G League, which is the development league of the NBA. And then um, he he was one of the leading kind of performers in the G League. And then uh, when it came down to decision-making time, uh, he wasn't picked up. And you can't help but wonder how much his asian Americanness factored into that. Like if he wasn't an Asian-American and if he was from another race, you have to wonder if they would have picked him up even for a 10-day contract with a, um, you know, with, for example, uh, you know, for uh, because he was, a because of his veteran status and how he could mentor younger, young, younger teammates or, you know, because, you know, he was basically outperforming all of his peers or, you know, all the others that were in the G League. Now, of course, you can say, well, the, those guys are up and coming, they're younger, but Jeremy Lin's still only 32. He's got, you know, Five, six, seven, eight years left in him, you know, if he plays well, and um, and and the fact that he didn't get picked up, you know, really communicates a lot, you know, that and you have to wonder how much him being Asian uh, and people having stereotypes about being Asian American um, impacted what the the fact that he didn't get picked up for anything Mm
0: -hmm. is. uh, I I was just thinking, you know, going back to the 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 tension between. You know, invisibility and exclusion is—is is it that maybe why, like, at least again, maybe in, in my circles, and I could be running in the wrong circles—is—is is that why, like, I don't feel like I've heard like a ton until recently, obviously, about racism against uh, the Asian American community.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, the there. <laughs> So one of the most common experiences Asian Americans have is uh, taking uh, food from their own kind of ethnic cultures to uh, to school when they're growing up. And and there is a a production called Wong Fu Production, Wang Fu Productions, that are that that that's creating kind of like high quality uh, stories um, from Asian American perspectives. And one of the things that they talk about is the lunchbox moment. As soon as someone says the lunchbox, lunchbox moment, whether they saw the skit or not, like as soon as I saw heard the the phrase lunchbox moment, I knew exactly what they were talking about, which was when someone when I opened up my lunchbox that my mom had uh, had had um, packed for me that it would get ridiculed because it looked so gross quote unquote to the people that were watching and I went to a majority white school, in fact I went to a majority white school for most of my life and then a partial you know and then majority black school for like a couple of years. Um, but because our food isn't deemed as quote unquote American, um, you know, like it, it gets, it often got ridiculed or like the yucky, you know, the, the gross, uh, responses would oftentimes come, um, you know, almost every Asian American has been, uh, asked where are they really from? Um, every, almost every Asian American that I know, uh, has been, uh, kind of, Someone has commented on their accent, whether it was good or wh- whether it was um, thick or whether it was it seemed foreign. Um, tons of Asian American women uh, have shared the fact that you know that they have been objectified of, and fe- fetishized, which is um, really at the heart of what led to some. Uh, you know, like what, what what at the heart of the Atlanta shootings. Um, you know, obviously, sin is at the heart of it all, mm-hmm. but. Uh, one of the manifestations of sin was this uh, racial, g- gendered racism against Asian women, um, and so I mean, you, like these things are consistently experienced, and and I think the invisibility and the exclusion are both um, factors to why people, you know, don't know about racism against Asian Americans. We've all experienced racism.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is maybe some, some of the the major historical moments uh, for the Asian American community in terms of, you know, could be could be global, could be national in the United States because, you know, one of the things that I've just been uh, learning about is like whatever you think of the United States history of racism, you know, you think of the Civil War and maybe you think of uh, the Civil Rights Movement with, you know, Dr. King and Malcolm X and that's about it. And I know that it's a lot more than that, and I would just love to hear, um, from your perspective, some of what you consider to be, hey, these are some of the nat, some of the the national moments of racism or or pride or anything like there are even globally as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, so to actually, you know, I think taking an internationalist perspective, taking a global perspective on on race and racism is actually really important, and so I'm glad you're asking the question, and I think that you'll see that you know the. The colonial powers in Europe didn't just go west, they went east as well, right? And so they went to the United States uh to to colonize what we now know as North America, but also to uh to the east, where they, you know, took over land in India and and Philippines and so on and so forth. Um, and then they also went south, right? You know, you got the Caribbean and Puerto Rico and uh and, and 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 all the other islands down there, and so um um, and so what, what yeah, so I think when you look at kind of Asian American history, you know, apart from what you see you know in Asia, because there are there there's every content, every country has its own history. So you know, if you look at Korean history, that's gonna be one thing. If you look at Japanese Harris history, that's gonna be another thing. If you look at Filipino history, that's one thing. Yeah, so you, I mean, like it's each each country has its own like beautiful story and and painful story it's worth looking into but let's just kind of focus on the united states um if we focus on the united states there there was a in uh in the 1800s uh you know because the chinese were starting to gain uh kind of a foothold uh economically uh socially within the united states mostly in the in the west coast uh they passed something called the page act which prevented uh chinese women from entering into the united states and the and a part of that was driven by a desire to keep Chinese women out, so that uh, they couldn't marry, and that Chinese men wouldn't have families, and that they wouldn't basically establish themselves and then grow in population and grow in numbers, right? And so they, so what what the United States did was basically what Egypt did to to the you know to the Israelites, basically trying to get rid of um, you know the the to curb the population. Well, when that wasn't necessarily working, they what they did was they passed the Chinese Exclusion Law uh, in 1882. And that basically triggered the first ethnically uh, targeted and racially charged um, uh, uh, exclusion or immigration ban uh, in the United States that lasted almost 80 years. And so, you know, when we talk about the Asian American population as being like somewhere between five and 8%, you have to wonder if, Asian Americans continued to enter into the United States. Didn't their families weren't torn, you know, like weren't either torn apart or prevented from like actually um, settling down? Like what the population percentage of the United uh, of Asian Americans would be. Um, well, then um, you know, then you know the Immigration Act of 1965 that changed everything, and then there started to be an inflow of uh, of Asian Americans. But you know, during the world uh, during World War II, you know, because Japan bomb bomb Pearl Harbor, which was actually in their minds a reaction to the United States and other kind of Western nations encroaching onto Asia. And so it was a reaction basically saying, let Asia be for Asians. Y'all do your own thing. Let us do our thing. Stop trying to colonize our colonize us, leave us alone. And Japan has its own issues too, right? I mean, like. Koreans struggle with the Japanese in part because they colonized us for for decades. Um, and there's a complicated history there too, right? Um, but upon the the bombing of Pearl Harbor, it it led to executive order nine zero six six, which um, which essentially uh, called for wrangling of every person of Japanese uh, ancestry to be uh, thrown into an incarceration camp or um, basically a, a mass concentration uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, compound. And um, it didn't matter how many generations they were American. It didn't matter how loyal they were to the United States. It didn't matter if they had businesses or not. This led to uh, many people being able to only take a bag, a suitcase with them. Uh, going to these compounds and then basically residing there um, until uh, they were released um, later on. And many people lost a ton of their property. I mean, I was just even today reading a story of someone who was, um, you know, in the East Coast uh, who basically uh, couldn't find a job because he was Japanese. Nobody wanted to employ him. And so one of the things that he did was basically. Uh, Build started a business to uh, fix boats um, that were kind of stuck out at sea. And he, you know, he bought the plane and he bought the radio and all that stuff and he could make it out. And, you know, overnight, all that was gone, right? And then he had nothing to go back to. And so, um, so then you had the Japanese incarceration, which was deemed unconstitutional. um, And, and they, um, and, and you didn't see the same treatment for Germans, right? Like, you would assume that if they were going to do this to the Japanese, they would do this to the Germans, but they were they were much more uh, discerning when it came to uh, addressing Germans in the United States, in part because they were they passed as white. Um, then beyond that, you would have uh, 9-11, which was another major instance um, where uh, South Asians and Middle Eastern Asians were viewed all as terrorists, de- despite whether they were... Uh, law-abiding citizens or patriotic or Christian or not, right? And so, I have many kind of South Asian friends, you know, either Indian and then Arab Christian friends that all were treated as if they were going to, um, you know, to, to cause damage and harm to whatever kind of space or venue they were in, Um And that still kind of like impacts them to this day. They had to like change their hairstyles if they were bald and had beards. They had to shave their beards out and grow out their hair, you know. So they they had to change the way they look so that they kind of quote unquote fit in. Um, But it caused significant mental strain and and a lot of bullying and there was even physical violence. Um, Then after that, you know, obviously we saw what happened with COVID. Um, But I think some of the positive, you know, there there are positive stories of resistance. Establishments of like entire uh kind of ethnic communities from Korea towns to little Tokyos to, to Chinatowns, uh, stories of of great contributions. You know, Jeremy Lin is a fantastic story, Asian American guy who makes it in the NBA. Um, Lin Sanity, and you have to wonder what would have happened if, you know, if he wasn't Asian and didn't have to deal with the mental strain of racism. Um And then, and so, yeah, with, with the pandemic, we're seeing the rise, we've seen the rise of over anti-Asian kind of hate. Mm -hmm.
0: How do we go about, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, the, the church's role for those of us who, you know, are, are a part of a church or maybe we're on, on staff at a church. How do you go about discipling people around this topic
1: yeah, that's a great question because this is actually where my heart yeah. is, right? Um, yeah. Like, I I love discipleship. It's it's kind of the thing that I think all Christians are called to. Uh, I think that you know you know it, it's something that uh, it, whether you feel gifted in it or not, it's something that you're required to do. Um, I'm actually thinking about writing a book about this, and so I'm talking to some publishers about like addressing this very thing. Uh, but I think that you have to study race. Uh, I don't think that you can. Avoid the issues of race uh, and actually get to uh, to disciple people because race is such an like a an impactful uh, experience uh, or like force that that the shapes our experience and and it's a it's a man-made construct we know that right it's it's uh, and I think Brian Luritz uh, is a pastor and I, I I love what he said he said he said um, kind of the, the notion of a human race is a God made construct. And then like, kind of the, the racial case that we have now is a man-made construct, and it's the difference between something being cotton and polyester, right? Just because it's polyester doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's not fake. It's not false. It, it still exists, right? Even though we are the ones that created it. And so, um, sadly, the church has been so far behind on addressing issues of race and understanding how race shapes our faith that um, that most Churches take an individual approach without actually understanding the systemic uh, forces that are uh, that are influencing, you know, people's formation and discipleship. So, for example, I was just talking to a guy named Wayne Gordon, who's here in Lawndale at, at the Lawndale Christian Center, and one of the things that he realized was like, you know, like you can bring people to Jesus and bring Jesus to people; uh, they can accept Christ into their hearts, but then if they are still hungry or if they are still unable to afford their books, you know, that hinders them from actually like being able to, you know, get to school or live out their vocation as a student or even like survive the next day. And so there has to be a more comprehensive approach to faith. And that's one of the things that, 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 that that he's kind of committed to. Um, and, I think that's, in a lot of ways, a great little picture of the things that we need to understand, that there are broader kind of forces that shape our individual realities. And, and, and they shape our individual realities based on kind of collective attributes or shared attributes or shared features. And we can't necessarily get away from that. Uh, and so I think just starting by addressing those issues. And then when I write a book, you know, you can
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I know that there, there's so much more that we could talk about, but is there anything else uh, that really stands out to you that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure to share? No, I don't know. I, there's a lot. I mean, I think that if,
1: it, it, I think if people want to like do some more, I think don't put the burden on the one or two minorities. Mm-hmm that are you know within your communities if you're you know coming from a primarily kind of dominantly white space instead you know like do the do the do your own homework do your own research like I it I never learned about kind of the black church or the black kind of struggle or or kind of the black or black history or even Latino history or the Latino struggle until I did it on my own. And, you know, and I have friends that certainly came alongside me and helped me out. But, you know, like there's so much more that I just needed to like, just reading on or listen to podcasts about or, um, or like participate in lectures in. And so I would say that, you know, Asian American Christian Collaborative is a resource that we're hoping that, you know, churches and, and individuals use. And of course, you know, like you can find, you know, I try to, Share stuff on social media that I think is helpful. So on Instagram, I think my handle is like Ray Chang five zero two. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And on Twitter, I think it's tweet Ray Chang. Um, and if you you know follow me there, then you know like ask me questions there. You can do that. But our website's a great um, space. And then on social media, it's AA Christ Collab, and we have a ton of resources that should get you really um, prepared for it.
0: I was going to say, and you guys have a great podcast too. Tell them about the podcast.
1: Yeah. Like listen to our <laughs> podcast. It's called Reclaim. Uh, you can go on our website, Asian American Christian Collaborative.com.
0: Awesome. Well, Ray, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And thank you so much just for, just for doing the work too. And for sharing it with everybody. Oh, thank you, Caleb. I appreciate it. I think coming out of that conversation with Ray, there's uh several different things it, really there's three different things uh that i that I think about one is and we talked about it briefly at the end uh maybe he'll come back on the podcast and we'll do another episode about uh just disciple how do you disciple towards these things that we've been talking about that's something that I've just been thinking about just for i mean for for a long time now, and just thinking about that and and what does it look like to do that how how do you put strategy behind that particularly uh, in the church context as well or in the faith context um, and so that's one of the things that i've been thinking about i think the second thing one the second thing is just that there's so much that i don't know and that pertains to history that pertains to people's experiences in that and how important it is that we have our our radars up for people who have different experiences than us and paying attention to that. And it's, and it's, it's impossible to get it right every time. I mean, my goodness, I run the freaking learner's corner podcast and I, it's just something like the, the racism against Asian Americans is just something that I just hadn't really thought about. A whole lot. And so it can happen to the best of us. And that's why it's important that, we, when we, that when we recognize, hey, we're missing out on something. That And I guess this is kind of the third thing. Is that we don't allow the shame of that to let us, to stop us in our tracks from doing anything. To feel like, hey, it's too late to help. It's too late to do anything. And that may just mean, hey, it's, it's time to pick up a book and to start learning. Hey, it's time to start listening to people hey it's it's time to start seeking out different voices. hey, it, it's time to uh, maybe in some case, hey it's it's time to show peaceful protests, but it's just figuring out and not letting shame allow you to stay stuck in in action and from not doing anything in it this well. so. This is something that uh, we're going to continue to talk about on the podcast that I'm going to continue to learn it from as well and continue to learn about. And we'll be sharing some of the things that I'm learning just throughout this process and through this journey as well. And so if you've enjoyed this episode, the best way to make sure that you don't miss any episode of the Learner's Corner podcast is by subscribing on whatever podcast player you use, whether that is Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, or um, Spotify as well, which is the one that I listen to. And you can go ahead and hit the follow button on that, leave a rating, write a review. That's really helpful as well. And a couple of quick shout outs or a couple of quick thank yous that I want to say is thanks to Garrett Oler, who does the editing for the podcast. Thanks to Sam Massey, who has provided the music for this podcast. Thanks again to Ray Chang for being on The Learner's Corner today. And thank you for listening to The Learner's Corner as well. Oh, the best way, uh, if you want to continue this conversation, the best way to do that is by hitting me up on Instagram, which is at Caleb J. Mason. Would love to hear from you as well. And I think that's all that I got from you for you today. So until next time, keep learning and keep growing.